Welcome, welcome to the holiday edition of the Hot Stove Society radio show on Cairo Radio. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. We're excited. Happy holidays. Thank, thank you, sir. You just brought me in a little bag of homemade goodies. That's right. I look forward That's to that. That's what I do. Every year. I know you do that. You have time to do that this year, didn't you? Well, I have time. Uh, you know, you take time the you know, it's, is it's, on your side. You take the time because it's actually, people don't realize, it's actually definitely time consuming. Yeah. It's dedication to a cause. There's nothing that says, there's nothing that says love for somebody. Uh, like taking your time to make them something That's delicious. Right. Yeah, exactly. I feel very loved by you this morning. Oh, here you go. And That's I see you nice brought way. Pamela horse food. <laughs> this is not horse food. We'll describe it later in the okay, show. Okay, all right. Uh, I am chef owner of a few places here around town, including Seatown. Uh, if you're going down to the Pike Place Market, head north, right to where Virginia meets Western Avenue, and Seatown Restaurant is right there. And I'm going to be shucking oysters out there in uh, January a bit and oh. February a bit because I, I enjoy being out there in the cold and having mm-hmm. my hands in icy cold oysters at the same time. You don't have enough pain in your house, in your life, huh? Exactly. <laughs> so uh, what else is going on? I, uh, Lola is rocking and rolling. It's back open now for seven weeks. Carlisle yes. Room is open. Um, this Omicron is starting to make me twitchy. And what else do I need to know about that? That's the last we're going to talk about uh, COVID at, on this show today. And Chef in the Chapeau, how was uh, your uh, spot at, the, well, not your spot, but the spot at the airport doing? Doing good. It's uh, picking up slowly but surely, and mm-hmm. uh, we should be coming up with the menu I designed somewhere in 2023. <laughs> well, you're just going in low and slow right now, right? Yeah, right yeah. now it's just a tentative opening, kind of, you know, December, see what's going on. And I mean, it's hard to predict what's going to happen yeah, I like know. you mentioned, what was that name you mentioned earlier? Yeah, we're already feeling it in the restaurants. It's a, it's a very yeah, it's kind of crazy like a tidal it's wave a, to kind of or like a tsunami. It kind of keeps coming and coming and coming. Molly Anderson, head baker over at the Dahlia Bakery, is going to be here today to talk about the most expensive cinnamon rolls in the city. And <laughs> no kidding. I tease her I about it. Here. I tease her because they're thirty two dollars for six cinnamon rolls. Thirty two, but they're really good. I'll say that. Okay, we'll be the judge. Well, we'll be the judge of that. Yeah, <laughs> I have them in the oven right now, Chef. If you would just hit off on that oven, oh, he's cancel top because they'll they'll heat fine with. Don't let the dude, <laughs> dude, of all people, to let the hot air out. Well, I just I had Terry to tells us about his uh, holiday traditions uh, from his birthplace of uh, the Western France. Uh, holiday foods from other parts of the world are going to be on the table today. A heartwarming tale about Santa's helpers. Although I like the stone soup one. I think I'm going to go with stone All soup. That's right. more well, Both alley. stories were so awesome. Ham for the holidays, our pick. Mine's a local one. And lastly, um, we're going to play Rub with Love Tasty Trivia to wrap up the show. It's two hours. Uh, think of something you can do for us for the next two hours. Maybe make cookies. Maybe go out and prune in the garden with your headphones on. Just make yourself a cocktail and chill out. Take a long, <laughs> take a long drive. You know, up by our house, uh, there's a place called Olympic Manor, and they're f- well known for having Christmas lights. Just uh, put the radio on, put us in the car, right? Get I got in the a car great idea. And take a slow stroll around uh, Olympic Manor in the, in the Christmas light watching. Or get a whole chicken and start learning how to butcher a chicken. I, I did it last night. <laughs> Not you. You know how to do it. I'm talking about our listeners. Yeah, it's, let's do that after Christmas. So when they cut their hand off, uh, they don't they don't really have oh, to go to the hospital. They, nobody's on, on cutting Christmas. their hands off. Yeah, just be careful. Thanks uh, for having us here at the Hot Stove Show. We're at the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle, Fourth and Virginia, right above Lola Restaurant. So it's super fun. And, and, Here's a great uh, idea for a gift. I was thinking about that on the way here. What a great idea! You 
you buy a, um, a cooking demo for some friend of yours or somebody, family member or whatever, who has, who has everything but just needs to learn how to, you know. It's amazing how much up how on many things people who have everything don't really have. Like I, for, for the, my whole career, I've cooked with wealthy, at wealthy people's homes and, you know, they have everything they could possibly want. And if they don't have it, they, and you, you mention it, they go out and buy it. Right. I mean, it's just, but, they have, but there are these experiences sometimes that they don't have about cutting up a chicken. Right. Because somebody's already, always done it for them, right? Right, or, right. I mean, it's not always the case. A lot of times wealthy people started with nothing and then they, they know how to cut up a chicken. That's yeah. how they made their money. <laughs> Some of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, let's jump right into our taste of the week. Uh, it is um, mine, mine this week. People have it in front of them already. Uh, and it is a bacon that I get from the mountains, Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, called Benton Country Hams is the name of the, the smoke shop in, uh, near the Blackberry Farm in Tennessee. Mm, great place. Yeah. Blackberry yeah. Farm Inn. Right? Isn't it? Uh, no, it's called Blackberry Farm. They have an inn and restaurants there, and Beautiful. it's a working farm. It's also very expensive. Yes. <laughs> I haven't had the pleasure yet. <laughs> yeah, well, good for you. I'm still paying it off on my credit card 14 years later. No, but it's uh, called Benton Country Hams, and I guess my point about it, you can like it or not. Some, some, It's a little bit acrid from the smoke. They use a really oh. hard smoke on it compared to, say, you know, we often talk about the best things we tasted in the last year, like at this time of year, but the thing I missed the most that I didn't taste was the Bavarian meats bacon that we have served for oh, over yeah. 40 years at our restaurants. And they went out of business, you know, they went out of the bacon business. So um, I missed that taste the most this last year. But so I ordered bacons from all over these butcher shops all over the country and smoke shops and th- things like that. And this is one of them, Benton Country Ham. So that's my taste of the week. What's your chef? I went to a place called Le Grand Bistro in Kirkland. Mm-hmm. And Ted's I had, first place, right? Yeah, Ted. Yeah. Yeah, super nice guy, by the way. Um, and I had the cassoulet. You know, Ted was, first helped me get Cafe Sport open in 1984. But he was first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, cassoulet at, uh, at Le Grand Bistro. And that was really, really delicious. Well done. There was, there was nothing to say about it except it was really good and uh, i was uh, very impressed beautiful duck legs beautiful sausage mm-hmm. uh, seems homemade i didn't ask but i think it seems homemade and uh, nice the beans were cooked perfectly you know all the way and um, moist and and beautiful crumbled um bread bread crumbs, bread on, crumbs top. on top really really classic and uh, it was really delicious. Now, you kind of said that in a way, Chef. I'm not trying to cause trouble here because I would never do that. But you no. kind of said that in a way like you were almost surprised, like you were looking for something wrong, but it actually turned out okay. No. No, I was. I was. I, 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 I mean, wanted, I'm just saying. I wanted to have it, and I wanted to have it good, and it was delicious. And I wasn't surprised. But, you know, it's, I've had cassoulet in quite a few places, and I've been surprised quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it, I think it's a dish that requires um, a, a lot of work and a lot of attention. And in today's world, it's easy to slip into one of those five things that needs to happen. Just yeah. make it four, and then that doesn't make the dish so good. So, congrats, how do you feel about al dente flagelle? Yeah, you can keep those. <laughs> you can keep actually al dente anything. You can keep those. Really? Are you just you, especially at when your you age now? You need to, everything soft for you. Well, I mean, even pasta. <laughs> You know, you get al dente pasta in some places. It's kind of like they went above the water and then give it to you. And I'm like, please cook it for a minute. It's like a martini that, that has no uh, vermouth in it. It's yeah. not a martini. It's no. gin on the rocks or vodka on the rocks. Right. 
Get, up, get away from this extra, extra dry. Yeah. Just wave it over the top. Get away from me. We're going to ham it up next on Cairo. It's uh, the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Happy holidays to everyone out there. Our audience is very festive today. We have a Santa cap in here. We've got some Seahawk fans in here. Just, uh, everyone's getting ready for... Getting ready for uh, next season, sir? Yeah. Uh, my wife, Jackie, makes a strata that we have every Christmas morning. She makes it on Christmas Eve into the pan, but I get up early on Christmas and pop it in the oven and cook it. So Pamela has made a version of the strata for today's ticket holders. Sonny, uh, we, that, we were just talking with Kathy about what are we going to make for Christmas Day, and we still haven't come up with a... Well, if you were to buy my book, Chef, uh, it's in... <laughs> Actually, it's I have your book. It's in the Dahlia Bakery book, and it's quite a good recipe. I have your book. I'm I just actually saying. Have, I actually don't, have uh, a few copies uh, extra. In, I have a whole box don't of... Don't kill yourself buying my book. So, I mean, Or you could be like my daughter and just look up the recipe online on her phone and right in front of me in the kitchen, <laughs> walking around with the phone plastered to her eyeballs. Because she knows... So, hello! <laughs> I wrote a book on that. Hello! <laughs> Ham, chef... Uh, related to my piece of uh, bacon that I passed out to the audience to, for my taste of the week, the Benton Country hams, for me, I buy one a year right around the holidays because to me it's like an American prosciutto. Uh-huh. And I remember last year during all my uh, cooking classes here at the hot stove, I would put out uh, the Benton Country ham, it's, and they have it uh, aged from... 12, 18, and 24 months. Oh, so you're talking about cured ham. It's, it's more like it's a southern ham. It's, right. It's, it's, not like what, it's not like prosciutto, right? It's, right? it's not intended to be that way, but that is the way it comes off. Okay. Because in the south, they'll take those Smithfield hams or those like a Benton country ham, and they'll take them, and they'll slice a little slab off, not thin like prosciutto, right. and then you'll pan fry it and serve it with eggs and hash browns. Okay. And, yeah. So, you so, can do it either way, but it's it slices beautifully thin right. anyway. And so that's how I often serve it is as prosciutto, but a local, like an American prosciutto. And uh, I just find it delicious. And I guess my point is when we're talking about hams here today, you have your choice of lots of different kinds of ham in our country. Uh, I love supporting these butchers around the country and just trying them all out. Sure. So the Benton one is my favorite by far of all those southern style hams. And it is, it's amazing. I'm going to have to try that. So you just go online, Benton Country Ham. Right. Here's the thing. You, you don't, other than shipping is expensive, but the ham itself, like prosciutto can cost $15, $20 a pound, right? Oh, yeah. Benton Country Ham is like three eighty nine, four fifty a pound. So it so makes up the difference between the shipping right. and what the ham costs. So. Last time I bought a prosciutto was for a big chef in, he was visiting town and he said, hey, can you get me a prosciutto? And I said, sure. It was $600. I know. And I bought the one at Costco last year. It was $99, and it came with a ham holder and I know. A that was incredible. Remember that? Yeah, that yeah, was incredible. Exactly. So uh, hams. Locally, there's really only one option left. I used to go to Twisp every Easter and get the, uh, from Metal Valley Meats, I would sure. get the, their big Applewood smoked ham, and that was my favorite. Uh, really, the only one now, and it's owned by Oberto, I believe, mm-hmm. is Hempler's out of Bellingham. Right, right. And uh, they make a nice ham, uh, and I, I, I. They actually make good bacon too. Their bacon is really good. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not their bacon fan, but they also bought Bavarian meats. So I'm hoping they come out with a Bavarian meats bacon. Oh, that'd be cool. 
It's not that I'm not a fan of their bacon. I just uh, I prefer something a little bit more smoky. Right. Like uh, the Nootski's bacon. Yeah, they're delicate with their flavor for sure. They're not they're not in your face kind of flavor. For yeah, sure. I'd love to see them come out with maybe a double smoke on their bacon or right. something something right. like that. But I don't know. Uh, so anyway, these these big hams uh, they you can get them spiral cut. You can get them. I buy it whole bone in. And I just literally, you know, these things are cooked already, right? right. You could literally right. just slice it. You don't have to heat it. But if you want to heat it for a Christmas dinner or something of that nature, um, you just simply pop it in the oven. I personally take, if, if it um, has a fat cap on it, I take most of the fat off because when I, I want to glaze my ham. So when I glaze it, I don't want to glaze it over the fat. Right. And then when I pull it out to eat it, you know, trim off all that fat. I mean, some people will eat that, but right. a lot of people don't. Right. So you want to trim that, and then I cross-cut it like a classic-looking ham and in an old-fashioned Betty Crocker do you put, um I put onions and potatoes underneath. Do you do that? Well, that's a, that's a style, right? Because so, uh, that, all that salt and all that flavor you know, gets... That's more Alsatian in, in nature. So, yeah, you put it into the potatoes, and, the, and then at the end, you're melting some... You take some beautiful Conte or something like this, and you melt it into the whole thing. Oh, let's start this recipe because they've. I think everyone's heard my recipe uh, many times. So let's, you 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 so take you your got on, a big roasting pan, big How? roasting pan, onion sliced, potato scallop, but, but big, thick. But aren't they going to overcook by the time the ham's hot in the middle? No, because the, I mean, how long does it take to warm up a ham? Three hours, two and a yeah, half. Yeah, but it's hours. not high heat. It's like it's moderate. Three hundred, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's three hundred. You don't cook very fast at three hundred. So if you put your potatoes, you know, and you can put your potatoes if you feel like it's going to be. Too, too thin. You know, if you cut a potato about an inch and a half thick. So instead of slicing them thin, yeah. Like yeah, you don't slice them thin. Yeah. You okay. put them about an inch and a half, and then you put them with the onions, and then you put them in there, no salt, and you just let the ham do its thing. Uh-huh. On top of that, you know, after you, you can either sear it, or like you do, you remove some of the fat. But if you're going to remove some of the fat, leave the fat in the bottom of the pan so it melts while it's cooking, mm-hmm. whatever fat you can get out of that, because fat is good. Especially that one. You're not going to get a ton out of the ham. No, no, no. no but you're going to get some. Yeah. And it's just a matter of not. And you can always it. add, you know, supplement with a little bacon fat or butter. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can keep actually those pieces of skin or fat and use that next time you cook some beans and throw that in the beans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really delicious yeah. flavor. But anyway, you cook the, you cook your ham and you're you're not cooking. You're warming up your ham and your potatoes and onions. And after, once you get to the end, you take off your ham, and then you. Keep you, you give a nice kick on the heat on top of the stove to try to give a little color to that. And then after that, you stop the heat and you grate some Conte on top of that. Uh-huh. And you mix the whole thing together. Ooh. And you get this nice, beautiful... Suck it all gratin, gooey, but without having the whole... You get this nice, gooey, runny mm-hmm. um, potato, onion, and cheese underneath your ham. Mm-hmm. Ooh. It sounds like a fun raclette uh, option, so, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you uh-huh. have some nice, spongy, uh, nice spongy uh, cheese... Uh, you know, slice. might be uh, poise, uh, probably not so much. That's no, a little not strong. Not but yeah. more. And I don't mean pungy that way. I mean pungy as in like you know how parmesan can get really mm-hmm. like nice as that little. Uh, what am I looking for? What's the word? The the flavor of sharp sharp. Uh huh. So if you get a sharp cheese, you grate it into your potatoes and and onions, and then you put your sliced ham on top of that when you serve it. A green salad on the side just for measure for good measure, and uh, there you go. So you brought up at a point there about putting the ham on top of the potatoes and the onions, and this is important about when you're buying the ham. Right. Okay, look at the label, 
and you'll see that some of the national brands, you know, if you look at the ham, they'll say what percentage of water has been injected, <laughs> and that's exactly what's going to come out of that ham when you heat it up, right? right. So a lot of them will say 18%, possible 18% water weight in this ham, and that comes out like a pool right. at the bottom of your pan, and you will, you'll you'll ruin your potatoes you ruin your and potato onions. and your onions, yeah. So look for a ham that doesn't have water added, if possible, like Correct. the Hemplers. Right. And... Um, do that dry roast and on that on your onions and potatoes. Yeah, and they'll brown up then. Oh yeah, but yeah. But if you put it like one of these commercial hams in there that's full of water, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Be as bad salty. Don't do mess. this if you have a pool of water coming out of your ham because yeah. that's not going to work. They'll have a. Yeah. They'll be steaming your your onions and your potatoes. It's not going to. And they'll insane. be oversalted because yeah, all will, that that's a saline solution. And they will fall in. apart and overcook. Yeah. They will definitely fall apart if they steam in their water. But uh, yeah, a good ham. Good ham. So get out there, get yourself a whole Hempler's. Uh, I would say don't. Um, I, I personally don't buy the spiral cut. I know people like that, but uh, I don't. I just buy the whole ham bone in, and you'll have it for days afterwards. It makes great ham soup, ham fry in the morning. Oh man, uh, so many things you can do after that. All right, Molly Anderson's going to be here to talk about uh, cinnamon rolls from the Dahlia Bakery. As I said earlier, probably the most expensive cinnamon rolls in the city, but they're good. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, we're back in the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Ready. We're chowing down on cinnamon rolls, strata, little fresh uh, fruit. We've already tasted some Benton Country Ham bacon, and um, Molly Anderson has joined us here. She's the pastry chef for the Dahlia Bakery, uh, and we just popped out of the oven uh, one of her uh, signature items in our freezer cases at the Dahlia Bakery. These are the six-pack of cinnamon rolls uh, made from uh, brioche. Yeah, it's a brioche style. Brioche cakey dough. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but Uh it's the same same process. Well, we're going to go through the process uh, all the way beginning to end here, but I was just kind of, if you look online, we're going to post a picture of these cinnamon rolls. We sell them for $32 for a six-pack, so that's $5 and something cents a piece. Now, if you go to any bakery and you and they have cinnamon rolls out, they're going to cost between 4 and $6. So, if you look at it that it way... It doesn't matter what everybody charges. That's not the point. You still have to stay in business. So. You still have to stay in business and you want your staff to make money and you want Correct. them to have... Uh, I'm Molly, not trying to make excuses. Molly, I'm just saying. Molly wakes up two hours before she goes to work. She just told us that. She leaves in Everett and commute from all the way to Everett to make those buns. I'm using you know it what? as a... Uh, they could be $10 a, a piece. I'm using it as a metaphor for things that... <laughs> Me too. One of the things that we're debating as a company is w- what do people want from an artisan or craft quality? Quality. Yeah, exactly. Quality. So you want real butter? Do you want this or that? And so... We had felt uh, pre-pandemic that there was a kind of a little bit of a movement toward away from people caring about that. In a funny way, I think during the pandemic, because so many people have cooked at home, they, rec- they recognize more the effort that it takes to make everything and that they're actually a little bit more willing to pay for the craftsmanship and the artisanship of fine pastry and fine everything. So Would can you- I say something too yeah. about this? I am not a cinnamon roll guy at all whatsoever. Every time I have one, I go, what? This is so bad. Because, <laughs> what? okay, here's, here's, my beef with cinnamon, here's my beef with cinnamon roll. 
most of the time it's over cinnamon. I mean, it's like, that's all you can test. Your mouth gets like totally, and some people like that. That's good for them. I personally don't like that. And then second of all, the part that I really don't like is the middle is usually not baked. And I hate that so much because it's really unhealthy for people. I mean, I don't know how many times I have to say this. It is really unhealthy for you to eat starch that's not cooked all the way, right? Sure. I'm not a doctor. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm a, not a doctor, but yeah. I can guarantee you it's not good to eat raw flour. <laughs> that's true. It's anyway, true. Don't do it. these are delicious. And not because they're yours or Molly is here. I know she could kick my butt probably <laughs> if I said something else. But these are delicious. It's balanced. It's tasty, it's crispy, and it's baked all the way. I give it a 10. Thanks. That's right. my Appreciate point that. of view. Way to go, Mal. Tell Nailed us it. about the magic, Mal. Going on what you said, I think the biggest mistake people make when they make cinnamon rolls is they want the center to be gooey, because um, that's just what you associate with a cinnamon roll, right? Well, that's what you're used to. But the mistake there is then the underbaking, because they don't want it to be dry. That is the wrong direction to go. <laughs> Where you want to go is a dough that is still going to be soft when it is baked all the way through. See, that's versus, a hard thing for people to put their head around, isn't it? Right, yeah. which is why we make this like special version of brioche. Um, and it's not tra- a traditional brioche necessarily. That's what makes the center still soft when you eat it, but fully, fully baked. Yeah, 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 exactly. So what is the difference then? So, you said it's a version of brioche. And brioche is an egg dough that has lots of butter or lots of egg yolks and butter and yeast, in it, right? And yeast. And yeast. Right. Yeah. So the difference between what we do and a <coughs> traditional brioche, brioche, I guess, there's a bunch of ways to do things like this, obviously. But uh, first off, we add sour cream to our dough. <laughs> extra fat, extra flavor, keeps Moist- them nice and soft. Moisture. Yep. The second thing that makes the biggest difference is we add our butter at the beginning instead of adding at the end that coats the gluten protein in the fat so it's harder for gluten to form so it will stay softer and almost more cake-like yeah it's so tender than creating gluten and making them tough or hard or like brioche when you slice it like a slice of bread yeah because they certainly are rising out of your pan right and in your pan and and then when you so now you've got this, you've, you've had a, a rise on your dough, mm-hmm. and are you just doing the one rise uh, we, before you form? Yes, before we form, yeah. And then you take it and you roll it out, traditional cinnamon roll-like, right? A big big flat rectangle, we'll yep. say. When my grandmother always made her schnecken, mm-hmm. it always had crystallized sugar in it. Like it would never, ever melted, Yeah. right? And this has none of that. No. And I... I liked it as a kid, but I hated that as an adult. And my yeah. sisters still make it that way. But she would, she would roll out her dough, and it smelled so good, felt so good. And then she would just pour brown sugar and pour cinnamon over it and dab it with butter and then roll mm-hmm. it up. But it never baked long enough to change that center into a lusciousness like yours is. Yours almost looks like you don't put any sugar in the middle. It's a very fine line. Okay. The butter that goes in the middle... Um, I never melt it. It's always just spreadable, so it kind of creates a, a seal on Layer, top of the dough. Yeah. Um, and then we do brown sugar and cinnamon mixed together as our as our sugar mixture. But oh, it's very light. It's just enough to barely cover the butter layer. Mm-hmm. If you put too much in the center, 
and then you don't bake them long enough, the sugar never gets a chance to yeah, turn into that, that caramely, yeah. um, you know, extra flavor, and it does it does nothing for you. And then it's raw, and it doesn't taste like anything. Right. <laughs> All right, now we're we're cutting pinwheels. Yep. Putting them in. Uh, do you like to put them up right next to each other so that they rise next to each other? Yeah, I put them six in a pan, all in the center touching, so mm-hmm. that when they just start to touch the outside of the pan, that's my indication that they're they're pretty ready. They've risen properly. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? Uh, after that, they go into the oven. We par-bake these so that by the time whoever buys them gets them home and reheats them, they're not overdone uh-huh so we bake them just enough that they'll hold their structure and then they will bake them the rest of the way at home boy when i have made them at home twice now all i had to do was 15 minutes at 300 degrees yep and i was in my head just warming them through but you're actually saying i they should be baked a little bit more because they will, feel like they're 100 percent baked to me they are in the sense that the dough is cooked uh-huh. but there's not a ton of caramelization on the top right so that extra 15 20 minutes in the oven kind of finishes that caramelization of the sugar and the the bread on top. Well, I must say this is a top gun here. This is beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate I'm very, that. I'm very and impressed by the by the quality. It's very, very good. It's so delicate and it's like gentle. Yeah, it's got it's all the gentle. different aspects of what you want to be mm-hmm. in a cinnamon roll, I think. That's how you want it. It's not a it's not a pound brick. It's a, you know, it's a very nice, it's light, it's crispy on the outside. Not too much sugar. You don't you're not you're not disgusted by the after two bites of going, oh, my God, this is just sugar. <laughs> I know. No, it's really good. Now, if we had put all the icing that she sent out with it, uh, then it would have been that. So uh, tell us about the little bit of icing that you have uh, for people that like that uh, on their cinnamon rolls. Yeah, it's just a, a pretty standard um, cream cheese icing, cream cheese, butter, a little bit of milk just to kind of make it pourable. Uh-huh. Um, I don't like when it's too thick. Me neither. I like when it's nice and runny. It like melts into it. It coats the center. So I That's like when really the cinnamon it, rolls special. come out. I put the icing on so that it kind of yeah kind of drips into the roll a little bit. Yeah, yep. That's the best part. Uh-huh. It shouldn't look like a cupcake. That's weird. Now, are you an innie or an inside girl or an outside girl? You oh, like? Oh, I love the outsides. Yeah, yeah. A little I bit like of crunch the crunchy on the outside. outside. See, I think we should make cinnamon roll open, not a roll, <laughs> so everything is crisp. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I was asking. Is like you you can you can do the same of thing course. with that, but you would I don't know. When they baked, they would be drier because they, there's no protection on any side of that roll. Right. But you, I'm sure you could do it. Yeah, you could bake it yeah. correctly. And it would be cool to not have a roll, to just have the whole pan just being the cinnamon roll dough. And When we did the honey buns for Dahlia before the pandemic, we baked them in individual molds and flipped them out, and they were crispy all the way around. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you just take some raw sliced apple, put in a little sugar, oh, yeah. and put that right on top. Fancy. Oh, man. Cinnamon roll and apple. <laughs> we just made a dish. Well, get busy, chef. We okay. got all day. We're going we got for all day. I'm buying. I'm definitely buying six-pack because my wife loves cinnamon rolls. Does so. she? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, she gets those cinnamon rolls sometimes. I, I take one bite and I go, nope, can't do that. <laughs> well, maybe she won't like these because they're not. Oh, I think the, she's going to. I think she's. I know, what I, I know her taste. She's going to love this. All right. Thank you for all your efforts at the Dahlia Bakery. Thank you so much. The, the last of your big holiday season pushes. Probably today, right? Yep. Here we go. Thank you, Molly Anderson. Thank you Thank so you. much. you, Chef at the Dahlia Bakery. <laughs> Up next, uh, Terry tells us a little bit about uh, the Christmas traditions. Did you celebrate Christmas or the holidays? We, well, yeah, we celebrated Christmas, Christmas when I was a kid. Uh, but So we'll talk about your Christmas traditions when we come back 
uh, on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Thanks all for joining us. Hope you're having a good holiday, making some Christmas cookies while we chat. Uh, and we'd ask Chef Terry, uh, you know, he is from Western France. I can never remember the, I always say no, but it's not, it's not no, it is near no. Well, first of all, we don't have a single town in France called no. <laughs> well, you have We have a town called no. There is oh, you, no R, it's not. It's not. Not. Why is it not? Because that's how you say it. Because <laughs> it is. It's not no. <laughs> Sounds like we're on a game show and somebody goes, you said the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm from a small town about 30 kilometers south of that, which is about, whatever, 20 miles, whatever, south of that, and a small town called Saint-Hilaire-de-Loulay, which therefore was why I had a restaurant named Loulay, right? Anyway, uh, Christmas. So we did celebrate Christmas when I was a child. And uh, well, we still When did you stop? <laughs> exactly, I was going to say, I'm still a child and we still celebrate Christmas. We don't really celebrate, we just have a... Get together now. It's much more quiet on, in my life on Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. My wife and I, and maybe one of the son or two. Depends if they're in town or not. But um, usually, for me, Christmas Eve is food, wine, get together, games. That's what it is. You know, like board games. Uh-huh. So, um, and then Christmas Day is a little bit more quiet on the forefront because usually. When we were kids, we and, and, and parents, we'd stay up till like two two o'clock in the morning. It was not a it was not a light evening, it was a very late, late evening. So the next morning, of course as a kid you always get up first to go see what's under the tree, because we had in France you put your shoes under the tree, or where I come from, you put your shoes under the tree and supposedly, you know, the that was like to Santa holds his nose while he drops presents. Santa knows which which person gets what because of the shoes. Oh, I see. They're your shoes. So it's your present. So I would. I, I have a size fourteen. I would get big presents. You would. That not how it goes. It just oh, he knows really? it's your shoes. I see. I see. Anyway, um, nice, nice culture, I guess. Um, so the evening was always big thing, and it was never. We didn't start dinner until nine nine thirty p.m. And usually, uh, where I come from, we're close to the ocean, so. During the equinox tide, which is around this time of the year, this actually this couple yes, of days right, here, yeah. you go and the ocean has much lower tide. Uh-huh. So we'd go with my dad, big burlap bag, big boots, and we walk in the mud all the way until the rocks were open that normally were not. You know, they were staying covered. And there were oysters everywhere. So we'd bring a chisel and a hammer and we pick like 100 pounds of oysters and uh-huh. bring that back home, let them down flat. Um, standing up on top of each other in the, in the, in the cellar, and they would stay there for between the, between uh, tomorrow, what's so the twenty third, about the twenty third, all the way to New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. So that's how long we had the oysters, and they were perfectly fine. They were not refrigerated, yeah. but they were in a cool, yeah. they were in a cellar, and um, so we'd have a whole bunch of oyster shocking was part of Christmas Eve. We'd have oyster shocking big plateaus of. Uh, big big trays of oysters because you know in, in, it was so weird when I first came to America and I went the first time I had oysters in a restaurant and they were serving six oysters and I was like so where is the rest of the oysters? Not only six but there's six tiny oysters. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> you're like six. So when I was you know when we, Christmas Eve we'd have like if you eat oysters you eat like two dozen oysters you don't eat. They must six have been pretty oysters. small. Well they were they're called fin de clair which uh-huh. is a special 
Uh, beautiful. Um, it's arranged between a komimoto and a between a komimoto and a kushi. So imagine a beautiful, nice little light cup. Yeah. So always nice brine in it. Um, and they were so good and so delicious. But So we had that, and my mom would make a little mignonette, red wine vinegar, shallots on one side, and then lemon for the people who wanted. I always loved my oysters with nothing on it, just oysters. I was a big fan of, like, testing the oysters. Uh-huh. And uh, so that was a big part of the beginning of the night. And with that, you know, the adults would drink Muscadet, which is the wine of where I'm from which is a dry, dry white wine. Perfect wine to match with that. A lot of Muscadet, you see oysters on the label. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. traditional it's oyster a, wine. Muscadet, when I grew up in France, was the wine of bistros, the, definitely the wine by the glass of most bistros mm-hmm. because it's inexpensive, lots of volume, and it's a, it's a wine that goes with food very well, um, especially shellfish. So we had that, and then we also had, my mom would make a favorite dish to make when there is guest or when we have a party is uh, beef tongue so roasted beef tongue braised beef tongue basically and then she made always made a mushroom madeira sauce uh-huh. classic so sorted mushroom actually i've seen my mom actually open a can of mushroom oh no way. oh yes whole ah. mushroom in the can and put that into the sauce she would do make like almost like a light gravy you know uh-huh. a, a roux mm-hmm. and then madeira, she would reduce the madeira first and then add the madeira and then a little stock then she had killed that that would make a beautiful Madeira sauce to go with beef tongue, and the beef tongue would peel it. I don't know if I'm Now, did your you. family get into beef tongue uh, at, at a time because it was inexpensive, or is that somehow a traditional dish it of was the more area? Like a, it was more like a delicacy because when I grew up, a long time ago, beef tongue was, you know, I mean, it, it's a price for people who have a, when you kill a pig or you kill a beef, you know, th- those organs, there is only one. You know, right. there's only one beef tongue, one pig tongue. You want to treat those. Those were a very special treat because such an interesting. You would, you know, from from my culture, I would think just the opposite, right? You think right. of those kind of cuts in in the U.S. Uh, well, there's some certain ethnic cuts, like you right. always see beef tongue in a Jewish deli or something. Right. But um, you always see tongue on a taco, right? Because other cultures eat tongue. But as far as my culture goes, that was never happened in our in right. our house. No, yeah. I know. I'm aware of that. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, but, you know, my mom, that's a dish, yeah. and she makes beef tongues and Madeira sauce, and that was really good. Bunch of little vegetable and mashed potato on the side, just like you would with ham, basically, here in, in this country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then always bûche de Noël, you know, which is a basically a rolled... Um, jelly roll kind of Jelly cake. roll, yeah, kind of idea. And then usually chocolate, making it look like a log. So, you know, do you, you'd buy it at the bakery or you make it. If you make it, it was fun to... Be at the end and putting all those little different decoration on top, like little candies and the marshmallow mer- uh, meringue, the mush- holly the, leaves. The meringue mushrooms. Yeah. yeah, meringue mushroom, the holly leaves, and the you know different little red dots of uh-huh. candy put on on top of the log. Did your mom like to bake? Was there a lot of baked goods in your house? She's she was not as much of a. I think she she baked once in a blue moon, but more importantly, she made a lot of uh, uh, flan and stuff like that for dessert. I mean, she could whip up a, a flan in no time, and creme caramel, and you know, just like that. She's like, "Oh yeah, I mean, we're gonna have creme caramel tonight." She takes the think eggs. She wants my creme caramel recipe. No, no, she actually makes <laughs> she actually makes one that's not world famous, but that's really delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Reference to Tom Douglas, world famous creme caramel. <laughs> she would kill me if she heard me say that, would she? <laughs> but anyway. 
uh, yeah, she was a good good baker for simple desserts like that, but uh-huh. uh, for cake and for clafouti uh, and yeah, for clafouti and stuff. I mean, she can wipe up a clafouti in no no time mm-hmm. in the summertime. That was an easy one to make. Um, but anyway, to finish the Christmas, we also had the parents had champagne. Always celebrate. Really? Oh yeah, that's that was a big thing. That was a big. That must have been a we're, big. I'm deal. from a very poor family, yeah, so yeah. it was an expensive item to buy. So my dad was very, you know, my dad always liked to go to the cellar and his cellar and pick up a few good bottles of wine. Uh-huh. And, um, as I grew up, you know, by the time I turned 12, it was much more interesting because you could try the wine a little bit, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, it was fun. And uh, midnight, people who were interested were going to the mass. And there was a, you know, in the church in town, there was a, a midnight mass. And some people would go and then come back afterward and play game and eat more food and you know. Midnight Mass got me out of a lot of things. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, Mom, heading off to Midnight Mass. And there was a liquor store just, you know, about two miles away. <laughs> go down and get yourself some Boone's Farm and we all have a different, six pack of Schlitz. We all, and, we all have a different idea of what yeah, that looks like. <laughs> what church looks like, is that right? <laughs> you betcha. Uh, cool. Well, that's super fun. I mean, I, every culture is a little bit different. Yeah. The shoe thing kind of threw me off. It just, just sounds a little stinky to me, but I, I get it. Uh, up next, uh, we are going to have another full hour of Hot Stove Society Radio. Stay with us. Enjoy your holiday. Hope you're having a good old time, or whether you're listening to us on a podcast or, or straight up live. It's Tom and Terry on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. All right, we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Tom and Terry are here celebrating uh, Christmas around the world. Pamela's uh, here, our producer. Sean's on uh, the technical side of things. And we have a very lively audience this morning that uh, is probably going to go to sleep at any second because they've had (laughs) strata, they've had fruit salad, they've had cinnamon rolls, they've had a taste, a little taste of Benton country ham bacon. Bacon sandwich. Uh, Santa's has a bacon sandwich out there. So, yeah, it's been a fun time here at the Hot Stove. If you want to buy tickets, they're uh, available um, online at hotstovesociety.com. And join us for breakfast one of these days when we're taping the show. Or you can watch live on, uh, we're we're still on Facebook Live. Are we on Facebook Live today, Sean? Good. Hi. (laughs) Forgot about that part. Uh, In a continuation of Christmas around the world, we we got started with Chef Terry's uh, kind of western france uh, traditions of his home uh, mine's very much americana there's the only difference in my world was that uh, we always opened our presents on christmas eve the night of because when we went out to look at the lights my one of my siblings would drive the car in a station wagon and we'd all pile in the back and go take a tour of the lights and somehow or another santa came while we were gone he always came when you were he has gone to here. start somewhere yeah yeah so or she whoever it is uh, and uh, so then when we got back, we would have the big, uh, the big present feast. Uh, so that was, that was my Christmas. And I always went to Grandma's for dinner uh, before that. So I think Santa might have come when we were at Grandma's dinners, too. Where I had, you know what she, her favorite dish to make was? Beef bourguignon. Oh, nice. My grandma taught me how to sip Jack Daniels and slug a Pabst Blue Ribbon. And that was, she was a sweet lady. Um, Pamela, wow. you, uh, you have put on some paper here of uh, traditions from around the world and what was your favorite out of the group 
I haven't had it yet, but I'm going to try to make it because... I just want you to try and say it. <laughs> uh, in Finland, I was fascinated by this. Uh, it's called... This is the longest word I've ever seen. Pork and a latico. Look how, how, look how long that word is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Finnish observers usually celebrate Christmas with some sort of root vegetable casserole. Which makes sense, right? Yes, they have because to put all the time that of the stuff. year. Yeah, exactly, in their cellar. Uh, but the most famous version is with spiced carrots. This is so up my alley. And the carrots are mashed with rice or barley and a liquid, sometimes cream or milk, and sometimes pure carrot juice. And butter is mixed in with the sugar and spices. So it's uh, mashed into a casserole dish, and it just... It sounds like such a warm and comforting way to spend Christmas afternoon. I uh-huh. want to try it. I wonder if that's what all those people waiting in line at the Scandinavian Deli on 15th and oh. Ballard are waiting for. Is, I'm going to try to get in there pork. tonight. I mean, it doesn't have any pork in it, does it? No. No. Yeah. Pork I'm not quite sure. Tico. Yeah, I'm not quite sure why it starts with the word pork. But. <laughs> well, maybe the, uh, pork doesn't mean the same in Finnish language. All right, I, d- I doubt that very much. Really? Yeah, I doubt that this word P-O-R-K does not mean pork. Well, it's not a word. It's just part of a bigger word. Oh, yeah. Anyway, what was your favorite out of this group, Chef? Well, I'm going to start with the first one that was on the list, the bacalao, which is a very nice Portuguese uh, dish as far as, I'm, as I know it. But this one is bacalao navideño in Mexico. So in Mexico, supposedly, they allegedly, on Christmas Eve, they do, um, they do a codfish entree on the table. So the bacalao is dried, salted, and then it's available all year round. So it's the same idea, which is interesting to me, the same idea as Portuguese do. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's eaten bas- uh, bacalao a la Vizquena, which is a Basque um, codfish stew, basically, from the Basque country, southern, uh, northern Spain, and uh, tomato, onion, pepper, garlic, green olive, and olive oil. I thought, I, I thought that was a, a very nice... I mean, I can totally taste this oh, dish. Oh, I can taste it, too. Just oh. the way... You, yeah, just... Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's like it's definitely something that would be up my alley, no problem. Well, bacalao, uh, when you travel through Europe, you know, and you see the, the old parts of the inner cities, you'll often come across a bacalao shop, right? Sure, sure. And the fragrance, I'll call it fragrance, coming out of those shops <laughs> is so amazing, right? And you it's see what the, in America we call fish smell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so bacalao is basically salted cod. Right. And uh, Dried it's, it's also. an old preservation method, not unlike confit or... Right. Other ways people preserve food before refrigeration, but uh, the f- people got used to that flavor and texture, and it's still to this day as a process that people use even when they don't have to. Yeah, when I was going to school when I was a kid, we used to have a two-hour break lunch. We'd go to a cafeteria where they would do a three-course lunch every day. Often, Isn't that what happened with you all when often, you went to school? Yeah. Often. Oh, is that what you're laughing? Sorry. Well, I mean, we know we stayed in school until 5 p.m. You know, we didn't get out at three. Well, as long as you get your three-course lunch. I'm, I know. <laughs> what I was, it was very important. I hope there was some cheese but, with that. I'm sure but there often was. on Friday we'd have bacala with mashed potato, layered yeah. bacala and mashed potato, and then gratiné. You know, just quickly gratiné. Oh, I used to love that as a kid. It was like so good. Can you imagine what would happen in our schools today if somebody put dried fish and mashed potatoes on your plate? <laughs> on a kid's plate. <laughs> Wouldn't you love that, Santa? <laughs> no? That is hilarious. Oh, that's because you've never had it. But if you had it, you'd, you'd probably change your mind. Right. I just thought it was delicious. 
Well, I'm glad. And what would the other courses be? Would you have a well, little you'd salad? Have a, you'd have a salad to start or soup, one the of the soup, two. Yeah. Depends on the time of the year. And then you'd have a creme caramel or, you know, something of, of that would. nature for dessert. Of course you would. <laughs> That's what we all get at cafeteria. That's what you need oh to. God. You know, this is, this is, I think at a young age in French, they teach you something that we need to get back to, and that's a balanced meal. Yeah. You always had vegetable, you always had salad or soup, you always had... Uh, and dessert was not, you know, necessarily a sweet, sweet dessert, but, but creme caramel is pretty sweet. <laughs> My choice of uh, all the different uh, traditions from around the world that Pamela put on our show sheet here today is, uh, the, I, I don't know how to say it, the ha- halakas yes. uh, in Venezuela. And uh, You think of these as Venezuelan tamales, which is the, the biggest difference is the amount of dough to filling. They're all about the meaty filling, which I am too. Uh, and tamales have a little bit more masa. Cornmeal dough is packed with a meat stew called guiso. It often includes beef, pork, and or chicken. So maybe all of the different leftovers in your fridge, you can just combine them all up with capers, olives, raisins. Uh, and they represent the Spanish and European influence. Uh, they're wrapped and boiled for Christmas Eve dinner. And what I like about this thing is, right? They're wrapped. Yeah, they have a right. little. Some, you could even put a little bow on them it's with like some, a little opening of a present. With a banana leaf bow or something, and then you open a present, which is dinner. I just think it's the perfect combination of what I know of as Christmas and adding a delicious, savory snack to go. With I like it. the uh, I like the puto bungbang in the Philippines. From the Philippines, that mm-hmm. sounded like a nice little purple rice cake. Um, usually, it's a street food sold in the street and during the Christmas season. Um, Puro is a Tagalog term that stands for steam rice cakes and uh, bumbang, and it refers to the bamboo tube that they're steamed in. I think I think that's a very cool uh, process. I'd like to actually try to do that. The picture was really pretty because they usually use the purple yam. Yeah, yeah. so Lovely. the rice and the yam yeah. would be and incredible. Ube. Ube. All right, when we come back, it's time for a Santa story right here in the hot stove kitchen in downtown Seattle at the Hotel Andra. It's Tom and Terry, Cairo 97.3 FM. All right, we're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo. Everyone is sated and napping here at the studio at the Hotel Andre in downtown. And uh, Pamela is passing out uh, some cards because we're, we're taking uh, audience members... Um, for our trivia challenge today. That's so, right. Who's going to kill who's us? Who's the lucky one that's going to... Yeah, I know. We did it last week <laughs> through the audience, and she got a perfect five for five and crushed it. <laughs> I got one. She got five. I'm yeah. like, wait. This is a reverse of story here. The fix was in. <laughs> you know, Pamela, for years we've celebrated our holidays together, and for years we have read a story here or there uh, at Christmas dinner, and my favorite was always the one that I did with the people from Share Our Strength which was there's always room at the, at the table. table. You remember that? Uh, would you please bring that book? Well, you I should bring that book at some yeah, point. Yeah, we need to get. It's called the Greatest it. Table, and I don't think it's in print anymore. But I, no, we it's, need it's, your it's copy. A, it's a good story. Yeah, you went online and uh, read some Christmas stories, and you picked this one. Why did you pick this one? Because it had cinnamon rolls in it. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to make it a food show. Nothing, right. nothing to do with the st- just cinnamon rolls. <laughs> I love the stone soup story. Where well, the, we might have time. Where the guy kind of goes from village to village. Yeah, I like that story, too. That was really stone. nice. Yeah, it's really a, it's a good The moral story. of the story is really good. It's not about the stone. Uh, she's asked me to read this. Now, I'm not a professional orator. Yes, you are. 
but uh, I am going to attempt to read this story that you've picked out. It's called On Santa's Team by Carol Laycock. And uh, it is, you said three minutes long, so bear with us as it's probably going to take me ten. And you said you tried, you were going to read it, but you started crying. Yeah, uh, it, you're, but it's happy. You're such a softie. <laughs> but it's happy. Don't worry. <laughs> My grandma taught me everything about Christmas. I was just a kid. I remember tearing across the, the turf on my bike to visit her on the day my big sister dropped the bomb. There is no Santa Claus, jeered my sister. Even dummies know that. My grandma was not just the gushy kind like Pamela. Never had been. I fled to her that day because I knew she would straight be straight with me. I knew grandma always told the truth. And I knew that the truth always went down a whole lot easier when swallowed with one of her world-famous <laughs> cinnamon buns. Grandma's, grandma was home, and the buns were still warm. Between bites, I told her everything. She was ready for me. So told her everything about what that darn sister. Siblings are terrible. I have six sisters. This happened to me. <laughs> no Santa Claus, she snorted. Ridiculous. Don't believe it. That rumor has been going around for years, and it makes me mad, plain old mad. Now put on your coat and let's go. Go where? Go where, Grandma? I asked. I hadn't even finished my second cinnamon bun. Terry would have eaten two today. Where turned out to be Kirby's General Store, the one store in town that had a little bit of just about everything. As we walked through its doors, Grandma handed me $10. Holy smokes. Uh, that was a bundle in those days, absolutely. Take this money, she said, and buy something for someone who needs it. I'll wait for you in the car. Then she turned and walked out of Kirby's. I was only eight years old. I'd often gone shopping with my mother, but never had I shopped for anything all by myself. The store seemed big and crowded, full of people scrambling to finish their Christmas shopping. For a few moments, I just stood there, confused, clutching that $10 bill, wondering what to buy. And who on earth to buy it for? I thought of everybody I knew, my family, my friends, my neighbors, the kids at school, the people who went to my church. I was just about thought out when I suddenly thought of Bobby Decker. He was the kid with the bad breath and messy hair. and He sat right behind me in Mrs. Pollock's grade two class. Bobby Decker didn't have a coat. I knew that because he never went out for recess during the wintertime. His mother always wrote a note telling the teacher that he had a cough. But all we kids knew that Bobby Decker didn't have a cough and he didn't have a coat. I fingered the $10 bill with growing excitement. I would buy Bobby Decker a coat. I settled on a red corduroy one that had a hood to it. It looked real warm and he, and he would like that. I didn't see a price tag, but $10 ought to buy anything, I thought. <laughs> I put the coat and my $10 bill on the counter and pushed them towards the lady behind it. She looked at the coat, the money, and me. Is this a Christmas present for someone, she asked, kindly. Yes, I replied shyly. It's for Bobby. He's in my class and he doesn't have a coat. The nice lady smiled at me. I didn't get any change, but she put the coat in a bag and wished me a Merry Christmas. That evening, Grandma helped me wrap the coat in Christmas paper and ribbons and write to Bobby from Santa Claus on it. Grandma said that Santa always insisted on secrecy. Then she drove me over to Bobby Decker's house, explaining as we went that I was now and forever officially one of Santa's helpers. Grandma parked down the street from Bobby's house, and she and I crept noiselessly and hid in the bushes by his front walk. 
Suddenly, Grandma gave me a nudge. All right, Santa Claus, she whispered. Get going. I took a deep breath, dashed for his front door, then threw the present down on his step, pounded his doorbell twice, and flew back to the safety of the bushes and Grandma. Together, we waited breathlessly in the darkness for the front door to open, and finally, it did. There stood Bobby. He looked down, looked around, picked up his present, took it inside, and closed the door. Forty years haven't dimmed the thrill of those moments spent shivering beside my grandma in Bobby Decker's bushes. That night, I realized that those awful rumors about Santa Claus were just what grandma said they were. Ridiculous. Santa was alive and well, and we were on his team. Nice job. You are a beautiful story reader. That is good. Well, thank you for listening through that. Chef Terry, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, it's exactly my thought about Christmas or any kind of holiday. It's all about giving something you've made, something you want, something you know somebody needs. And we all don't need anything anymore. I have everything. Well, maybe you don't have everything yet, but <laughs> I think everybody in this room has everything they need. And I'm a, I'm a, I like to give. I just love to give. It's a, it's a very... And not give necessarily, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm not a big giver of, believer of giving a, a gift card, for example. I'm not that big of a, not for that kind of thoughts. You know, I'm, I'm much more into making stuff and giving it away. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's beautiful. What's the tomato? It's like a tomato biscuit. It was during the summer we had all these overripe heirloom tomato, gorgeous from Alice Wong's garden in um, up north. And uh, I had a whole bunch of it, like a lot, and they brought it to me, and they were kind enough to, to give it to me, and they didn't want to charge me. And I said, okay, so I'm going to turn around, I'm going to make a beautiful bisque, like a very, it's like a strong tomato sauce slash bisque. And I made that, and all it is is tomato, onion, basil, thyme, and olive oil. Did I say olive yeah. oil? Yeah. yeah. We didn't quite prep into that uh, comment. Terry brought us a couple of... Uh, things that he's Santa Claus for this year, uh, including the tomato that you just talked about, uh, some apple sauce. I have a tree in the backyard, and every year I <clears throat> scream at because it's a dwarf tree that gives me more apple than anybody's ever thought of. <laughs> and it's got three different kinds. It's always, the giving tree. It's a giving tree for sure. And, and uh, so the one on the ground I used to make vinegar with, and the one in the tree I just take them inside and make a, a sauce every year I do that, so. Okay, Santa, so, and, uh, so now I have applesauce. Now I have something that says B and B on it. Blackberry and blueberry jam. Ah. So I had, I had, again, we went to pick blueberry out of Jay and Jane's farm in um, Monroe, and uh, blackberry, and then we picked also, and we had a whole bunch of it, and I was like, okay, I need to make some jam out of that. So that's what I made. So now you're going to have to eat that. And then you've brought the man who has a line of spice rubs, a spice rub. <laughs> I thought uh, I thought it would be a little saying. bit. I thought it would be a little bit snarky to just. Oh boy! I just wanted to show you how it's made. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is called the Moroccan spice salt rub. So it's mostly it's sixty percent salt. So don't put any salt added once you use that. Well, I mean, sixty percent. What else besides the salt? Forty percent spice. What, what, what? Spice. So we oh, did that. Uh, I see a secret. Hello. Uh, you think I'm going to give you the whole... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, come on. I need a drink at least to be able to do that. You know, the other night I have... Uh, I use my spice rubs all the time at home. I used the chicken rub last night on chicken. But uh, a couple of nights ago, we have a new one. 
that we did with Trey Lamont. Remember, right. we had Trey on the show. We have his jerk spice right. in our Rub with Love product line. And I used it on shrimp. We made it like a shrimp salad. Just so I well, seared, would be so seared them super hard with the uh, rub on it, and then just put it, let them come to room temperature, and just put them right on top of the salad with a little dressing. And mm. uh, actually, oddly enough, served it with a baked potato uh, because that was dinner. Uh, so anyway, it's really good. <laughs> the jerk spice is really good. I've used it now about five times, and I take pictures for our website every time I make something with it. But uh, it is, uh, it's really good. So if you haven't tried Trey Lamont's jerk spice. Now is the time. All right. Just when we come back, it's time to roast our nuts. Toasty, roasty nuts on Cairo. It's uh, Santa loves roasted chestnuts, and we're going to talk about how to use those. When we come back, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right. We're back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove. Chef Terry... Leading our audience motivation technique. (laughs) All right, let's do that. You want to roast some chestnuts? Let's roast some chestnuts. All right. I thought you were going to sing the whole song for us. We don't have that much time, Tom. No, we don't. That's never mind. We also need an audience. I'm Tom. This is Terry, the chef in the chapeau. And uh, Terry, this is is all up to you because this isn't a tradition that I had at all. And uh, I need to learn how to love roasted chestnuts. Now, I have, I've roasted them. I've peeled them. They're a pain in the patootie. Uh, I have pureed them. I have bought the gla- marron glass. Is that what, how do you say that? The, marron glacé. You see the little jars. You see the chestnut well, puree. Well, chestnut puree. Puree de marron. Puree de marron. Yeah, exactly. So, but I've never learned to love it. And what I'm looking for you from you today is some way or somehow that I am going to love roasted chest. I'm going to love the process, and I'm going to love the end game, and I'm going to want to do it every year for the rest of my life at Christmas time. Wow. So if you were here the other day when I did a crepe class in your school, sir, yeah. actually one of I them came by. You, one, one of them was a chestnut uh, crepe, roasted puree, uh, roasted chestnut puree crepe. Okay. And... Uh, Sean, do you want to tell us what was that all about? Because that was a revelation for him about chestnut. He's never had chestnut before. Well, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm with Tom in this. I never really had it growing up. I maybe have tried chestnuts a handful of times. But um, we were able to get our hands on a really nice uh, pre-made product. Or not pre-made, but it was just pre-peeled. So maybe some of the uh, labor was a little bit streamlined. But um yeah, it, it it just had a great, nice texture, and I'm a big fan of like peanut butter, almond butter, those types of things. Um, and it was just, it had a beautiful texture, and it really wasn't that hard to make. You know, once we kind of sourced, we went through. Who did, who did we go through to get the... Uh, De Laurentiis. Yeah, De Laurentiis. Yeah. Always has it. Brand. Yeah. Nice little... And yeah, it just works perfect. I, I could see it using being used in a lot of contexts. But it just... The crepe was just ideal. Yeah. It was yeah. Really and good. then, so the base for me from that is very simple. Reduce some cream, add some amaretto, put in your chestnut puree. So amaretto is an almond paste. Correct, or almond, Al- almond liqueur. Mm-hmm. And then mix the whole thing together and you'll have this, I mean. And so you just bought the pre-roasted, peeled. Pureed. Mar- chestnut. Chestnut. Okay. And right. so it's puree de marron in French, but chestnut puree in English. Mm-hmm. And um, you buy that and then you just, all you have to do is reduce, take a little, maybe a half a cup of cream Reduce it down by half, mm-hmm. add a good amount of amaretto, because if you're going to use amaretto, use a good use amount. A lot. 
and then put the puree in there, mix the whole thing together, warm it up nicely, and you've got this wonderful, tasty chestnut puree. So that's a so, nice spread, for example, if you're making a cake or if you're making a crepe right. or if you're making even a waffle on um, New Year's Day or Christmas Day, whatever you're gonna, day you're going to do it, if you do some waffle, it's a nice little garnish on the waffle. What you do is you whip some cream, some you know vanilla cream, mm-hmm. and then you fold it at the last minute and put that on top of your waffle. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, so pretty delicious. I'm not letting you off the hook, the, the hook this easy. Okay. So I want you to convince me to have put chestnuts in my life for the rest of my life. Now, what you just did was you used chestnut puree. Right. It was already done for you. Right. And then you added almond flavoring to it. Correct. With the amaretto. So let's go back to the chestnut part. Because the last time I had a plain roasted chestnut was on the street corner in Manhattan, where they are all over the place at Christmas time, right? And they they put a little X in the skin, and then they they actually roast them on the street corner over hot, literally hot. Very hot. Coals. Yes. uh, uh, Charcoal, which is where they do those toffee nuts and all that sort of business. Uh, So... Make me love chestnuts for what they are. Well, first of all, you need to make a difference between chestnut. There are different types of chestnut on the okay. market. There's the edible chestnut and there's a horse chestnut, which are not edible. This is the poor man Right, chestnut. you see the, the trees on Queen Anne, right? Correct. Yeah. You don't want to eat those. They're very dry. They're very chalky. Um, chalky. Yeah. So a chestnut itself is actually a very dry nut. It's not yeah. a... It already doesn't have a lot of moisture in it, so... You definitely need to find something to add moisture to it. Okay, so that's the cream side. That's you, the cream that or the liquor. I mean, you don't have to put the cream. You could just do liquor, uh-huh. and that would be uh, something you changing, could do. You're changing it. If you just do amaretto, you're changing it to an almond cream. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So chestnuts. Chestnut itself, roasted in the fire, peeled out, uh, uh, chopped, or um, if you chop them, for example, with a knife, you just wipe them, mm-hmm. and then you throw in a little sugar right on top of that, and you put it back in the oven, get it caramelized oh, caramelize caramelized on the outside. Mm, that makes that for a nice little good, touch. Um, and then you can also, I, I use um, chestnut in savory as well. I mean, I know you're, I mean, you're thinking sweet get, right now. No, yeah, I hear that, but I, you know, first thing I thought of was goose uh, for goose, some reason. Actually, I've used it with scallops uh-huh. and foie gras. Yeah. That is a rich dish, but it's so delicious. And so let's let's go back to scallops and foie then. And you've got a roasted so chestnut. You, you've got your roasted chestnut. You break them down like and I did. Did you do it over an open fire? <laughs> no, in the oven. That was good <laughs> enough. I didn't have the open fire in my kitchen. But if you had a pizza oven like you do, sure, it's a nice, quick, simple way to do the roasted chestnut. And when you put the X in them, they just the skin just peels back a bit, right? But it, the, the, the X in it is so it doesn't explode. Because if you don't put an X in it, it will puff and explode okay so you don't want it to explode you want it to separate from the meat so the, the, the shell the, part the skin, shell part yeah. yeah and it's a tender shell it's not hard like a like a walnut right. for example and if you and, go to sirloin uh, top you can find a chestnut knife yeah 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 easy i mean um use once every 20 years where was i oh so you chop you chop your your chestnut and then you do a nice little cream with garlic a very light amount of garlic. Black garlic is delicious with that. And a little bit of fresh thyme. Reduce the whole thing down of the cream. Put in your chestnut in there. Cook it for about five minutes. Put it in the blender. Blend the whole thing. And you have this beautiful 
silky puree. So of, the chestnut in that scenario is, is acting more like a thickener. But it's a thickener, and it also has the roasted chestnut flavor, flavor, which is why you don't want to put too much cream or too much stock or too much anything, because you will get rid of the flavor easily. So Yeah, you don't want to mask it. No, you don't yeah. want to mask it. Yeah. You will still want to find that flavor. But the, the flavor of the, the light flavor of the chestnut and the textural smoothness that you get with that, sear a scallop, put it right on top, and then sear, sear a foie gras, piece of foie gras, put it right on top. Oh, my God. And then you drizzle the whole thing with something that's like a, a vinegar, of, uh, like a balsamic vinegar we were mm-hmm. talking about. You do like a quick gastric of balsamic vinegar, which is balsamic vinegar, sugar, reduced down, and then drizzle that all over your dish. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a Christmas dish. I'll tell you it's that. a Christmas miracle. It's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> if you can put that together, you've done a miracle. Yeah. But it's a, it's a good, you know. Without, if you live through that, it's It's a really miracle. good without the foie gras. You know, you don't have to do that. But we, it's good with shrimp and it's good with scallops. Uh-huh. I love chestnut puree. Now, how would savory. you use it like I just said? Like with a roasted goose. Do you ever use chestnuts just for themselves without manipulating them? Yes. In the old days, it was very common to take the roasted chestnut, peel them off, and then stuff them in the bird. Like, for example, ah, when you said the goose. That's interesting. A goose or a duck. Yeah. Actually, do a goose or pheasant. And then you stuff it into the goose or into the pheasant, and you roast your whole bird like that with the chestnut in there. So the chestnut actually. With the stays, peeled roasted chestnuts. Peeled roasted whole okay. chestnut. And then they would get moist because of yeah. the steaming going on into the thing. So now you have a steam uh, chestnut inside your uh, bird. Take them out at the end. You know, serve them on the side. You can even put a little bit of stock if you want. Reduce down with now you're talking butter. my language. Yeah, yeah. And you can. I mean, do, that sounds much more interesting. And to you me can than do a little bit of. Uh, you could do a little <laughs> bit of sage, very light amount of sage. To put into the bird as well, so you'd have a little chestnut and sage together. That's really nice. So then you just serve those on the side. You slice the goose. Correct. Uh, and then you take butter and you just crush. You basically do like you do with your smashed potato. You know, you, you take your fork, you smash the chestnut, and then you put a nice little nugget of butter on top, a little bit of salt, and you pop those babies in. What about all that goose fat that you're going to render out? Oh, you definitely could use that too. Uh-huh. That's look, a, that's look a at good you. You're like a kid in the candy shop right now, thinking about <laughs> goose fat and butter and chestnuts and. Well, I mean, chestnut. I think is an underused product. It's not. We don't have it as a common trade here. It's not. You know, you go to Owajimaya, They're there almost all year round selling yeah. roasted chestnut. That's if you've but never. They had, also sell water chestnuts too. Correct. Yeah. But if you've never had those, you should definitely try it at least once, and try to get creative with it in terms of what you can do with it. Chestnut and butter together, blended together, and put that on top of anything, it's really not a bad, bad thing. Have it on a piece of toast, grain bread, and then a beautiful chestnut butter right on top of your bread. Not shabby for breakfast. Yeah. Well, there we go. Well, I'm sure Sean's going to put a little chestnuts roasting over the open fire music to take us out of this, <laughs> this segment here. And then we're going to come back to Rub With Love Tasty Trivia, where we lose all of our niceties and go at each other's throat. Right here on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Many tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way
We are back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. It's time for Rub with Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. And Rub with Love is a delicious spice rub and sauce company owned by me, uh, made right here in Ballard. And uh, it brings extra layers of flavor to just about any meal. I had the jerk rub on shrimp this week. So delicious. Uh, look for them at your local grocery store and specialty shops or find them online at TomDouglas.com, Amazon, Bartels, QFCs, every, I mean, you name it, we're out there. Met Markets does a nice job with them. Shoreline Central Market, all over the place. This month, if you uh, go to the Tom Douglas site and write capital C, capital R, capital A, capital B into the offer code area, you can... Uh, and spend twenty five dollars. Does that spend is crabby? Crabba, <laughs> crabba. Spend twenty five dollars or more on our website and write that promotional code in there. You get a free copy of a signed "I Love Crab Cakes" cookbook. Uh, Pamela, will you tell us uh, Wait, how to play the you game? Extend that offer to anybody uh, that's here today. If they you bought twenty five, okay. you bet. They would get the cookbook. right in our gift shop. We have a lovely gift shop oh, right here. Anyway, Pam, would you tell people how to uh, play the game and who our winner is and what they're going to win? Well, we're so glad to have Tony with us, a member from the audience. Each of the three of you, Tom, Terry, and Tony, are going to get five questions. And the one who gets the least amount right is a loser. I'm worried already. And on Christmas morning, uh, when you see Santa, you have to put an L on your forehead so that he knows to leave you coal. He's going to go, Louie, is that you? <laughs> uh, and the prize is going to be my uh, very favorite uh, trio, the Harvest Rub, with uh, the mustard that I can't live without, the toasted shallot mm. mustard. Good. All right, Mr. Rotoro, coming at you. Let's do it. What time do they start eating the Christmas meal in Chile? <laughs> 1 a.m. Pretty close. At dawn, after the traditional Misa de Gallo Mass. So pretty cool. Pretty, pretty, pretty close, but no pretty cigar. Pretty close, but no, no cigar. No. But no cigar. So this, what time was that exactly? Dawn. Dawn. And Christmas, so that would be... Four o'clock eight, in the afternoon? 8 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's summertime down there. Number oh. two. Mistletoe's romantic overtones started with the Druids in the first century A.D. because it could blossom even in the winter. However, mistletoe berries, whilst notoriously poisonous, were once considered an aphrodisiac and are still a symbol of fertility and virility. Is this true or false? That is definitely true. Yes. I I remember that. (laughs) From the first century. From when I was there. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, a peacock was actually the first mainstay of medieval Christmases feasting, as was Swan and yep. other games. Later, in Edwardian Britain, the goose became the bird of choice. What bird has now replaced the goose? The turkey. <laughs> Which, honestly, it works for me. I mean... Yeah, you'd rather have turkey than goose? No, I mean, I like the idea of the turkey because it's a, it's a nice bird and it's easy to do a lot of things with. The goose is very uh, it's temperamental. temperamental of a, of a bird for most people. You loved it. Oh, I, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, <laughs> the most popular Christmas dinner main is turkey. But what is the most popular vegetarian alternative? Tofu turkey. <laughs> no, just uh, kidding. Close. Uh, no, hang on. Mm, dun, dun. I would say tofu. Tofu something. Tofu. The nut roast. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> 
close. What's a nut roast? <laughs> yeah, nothing. It, just it's move on. Barley and yeah. nuts and uh, <laughs> I love some. Just move on. All right. <laughs> it's a two hour show. Number five. In the uh Christmas song, what was uh roasting on the open fire? Oh let me guess. <laughs> Maybe some chestnut? Well you are I think you're gonna win today, Chef. No, three out of five is not winning. It's just well, it depends good standing. on how, how uh, trick Tony is. Yep. Tony, yeah. yep. welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you, you for playing. Which way do you stir a Christmas pudding mixture for good luck? That's to so easy. Right. Clockwise. Is that to the right? Yes. Yes. Clockwise, yeah. <laughs> how many mince pies does the average Brit eat over Christmas? Six, 11, 21, or 27. And these are the small ones. These, these the individual ones. Over individual there you can buy ones. them the little tart Yeah, size, the little yeah. tart ones. I'll go for six. Yeah. 27. Jesus. <laughs> wow. I didn't realize it was that good. This one is super it's goofy. Not. In the old days, women in England, I must have been on an English yeah, website. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, who wanted to find a husband ate what at Christmas for good luck? Christmas pudding? Close. It might have ginger in it. Gingerbread, gingerbread. gingerbread. Okay, gingerbread. Gingerbread. Wow. We couldn't have given you any more, Tony. Okay, we can't number, that one. <laughs> number four. Who dishes up the figgy pudding in Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol? Say that again. I was who, kinda, serves, yeah. who serves who, the who Christmas serves pudding? The, yeah. the good news is, Tony, whether you win or lose, you win. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's our Christmas to you. <laughs> Think of the main character names. Bob Cratchit. Yeah, Mrs. Cratchit, you got Bob it. Bob Cratchit's wife, I was going to say. <laughs> and what is the name of the traditional Italian cake eaten at Christmas? Yeah, panettone. <laughs> you got a, you got a safe line over there. Oh, three, we're tied, we're tied. You still right, tied, tied with me. All right. Oh. Time for me to swoop in and... Come on, Mr. Douglas. What would you stick into an onion when following a traditional bread sauce recipe? Clove. How did you know that? Because I'm brilliant. <laughs> because what else would you stick into an onion? <laughs> it's oh. a big classic. Uh, babka, a sweet bread or cake filled with a variety of sweet fillings such as chocolate, is popular with which ethno-religious group? Uh, the Jews. Yes. Yes. Uh, number three, bounceberry is another name for which Christmas berry? Cranberries, because they bounce like crazy when you yep. drop them. Yes, yes, you are doing wonderful today. I love today. it when you ask Three out of like, three. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which Swedish word, beginning with the letter S, is, <laughs> is a term for a buffet-style meal with a selection of hot and cold dishes? Smorgasbord. Yeah. Dang it. I knew it. I yes. just had to scan. That's a lot of to... bottles of wine ago since I heard that word. Uh, I want you to bring home the win with this one. What is the name of the skin that hangs from a turkey's neck? The nape. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, yeah, I heard it. Gizzard. A waddle. A waddle. A waddle. Well, the Four good news is I could, I, I could only get one. I could get one wrong and still win. That's the good news. <laughs> yep. Yes, good That's job, Tom. Thank you, Tony. You won a, th- a three pack of our harvest rubs and, I'm and a jar of our shallot I'm mustard. Delivery. Wait, wait, wait. Terry has to deliver because he lost. Yeah. I'm paying for delivery. 
Thank you very much. If you want to be part of our show, you can join our community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to us on Cairo. Show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sound by Sean McFadden and our editor is Sean DeTore. If you uh, miss any episode of Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Merry Christmas and thank you for listening. Happy Holidays. 